what's up y'all it's zach with living corporate and you know it's inter- it's been an interesting i mean interesting such a like understatement for this year uh, just honestly chaotic and uncertain and anxiety inducing uh but with that being said you know i was really excited before everything went to poop um I bulk recorded a lot of content. Like I spoke to a lot of really cool people and we had some really dope conversations, but, um, and like, honestly, I had a, enough content that was going to get us through Thanksgiving straight up. I had enough content by March that was going to get us through the rest of the year. But as I've said a few different times on living corporate, the nature of the, the world forced me to really reassess uh, the content and really try to figure out, what we need to shift and change. And so this is one of the conversations that we recorded some time ago uh, with Menda hearts, who was a friend of the show, a long time friend of the show who I'm a personal fan of and really excited to bring this conversation to you, even though it's a little bit older, it's still frankly evergreen because we're talking about centering and amplifying people at work. We're talking about a seat at the table. We're talking about how our career has continued to shift and change and how our life has changed in light of the success of her book and all of the uh, events and activities that have come with it. And so the next thing you're going to hear is um, our conversation with Menda hearts. I just want to make sure that I say, make sure that you pick up a paperback copy of the memo. It has two new chapters and you stay connected with her on mendahearts.com. Appreciate y'all. Peace. Menda hearts. Now, look, in addition to Menda's passion for helping women of color secure their seat at the table, she's also a lover of grits and rap lyrics. Now, hold on. Grits and rap lyrics. This is going to come back somehow during this interview. So I want to make sure y'all pay attention to this bio because she's among many things. She's the founder of the Memo LLC, a career development company for women of color an adjunct professor of public service at NYU's Robert F. Wagner Graduate School of Public Service, a speaker who's conducted workshops and keynotes at corporations like Google, Time Inc., South by Southwest, the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, the New York Public Library, PayPal, Facebook. She out here, okay? Make sure you catch her on Twitter. She'll drop her stuff later, but she's all over. She's talking to everybody. And she talks to university and colleges like Western Illinois University, NYU Stern, North Carolina A&T. Come on, uh, A&T and Cornell. Okay, you see that she, that's, that's range, y'all. She's talking to the HBCUs and the hoity-toity uh, white supremacist organizations, too. You know what I'm saying? She's also a podcaster who invites you to join her weekly conversation with an amazing featured guest and growing community of professional women of color called Secure the Seat on all the DSPs. We're talking about iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, okay? iHeartRadio. She's all over. And uh, she's here with us again. She's a return guest. Minda, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. You know, I'm a big fan of you and Living Corporate, so honored to be back. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you. Um, okay, so look, it's almost been a year since you've been on the podcast. We were talking about your book that had yet to be published at the time called The Memo, right? Now, what's been going on the last you know year or so that we, since we've had you on? Well, thank you for getting The Memo before a lot of people did, so I... I appreciate that the love uh, even before the book came out uh, it's really been interesting so the book came out at the end of August and I've pretty much been on the road nonstop since the book came out and I did not expect that it I started out going out on a 10 city book tour that turned into a 28 city book tour that's now turned into I'm not counting anymore just happy that people still want to 
um, have these conversations. And so it's, I couldn't do it by myself. I often say that success is not a solo sport and not being quote unquote famous or having a trillion followers. It's really just been the organic swelling of conversations. And so again, thank you for the opportunity. No, you're absolutely welcome. You know what I'm saying? I got to just drop some air horns for you real quick. You out here, you and you know, every time when you kept on saying, you know, 10 turned to 28 and then, you know, 28 turned to, you know, 58. You know what I mean? I just heard. That's when the blessings come in. Blessings come in. You know what I'm saying? We out here. <laughs> uh, that, that's what's up. Uh, the blessings that definitely come in and um, it's become a bestseller. And it, it's just crazy because I don't know if we probably didn't talk about it on the first time I was on the show, but mm-hmm. I had four um, publishers say no. Uh, four out of five major publishers say that there was no audience for a book like the memo. And so the fact that it's become a bestseller, I've been on the road for the last six months. It really, I mean, that was the right, the right. Um, I don't know what you call those. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because it's funny because when people doubt you, right, then they're going to try to come back to you when you drop your next book and you're going to look at them like, I hate to say it. I hope I don't sound ridiculous. I don't know who this man is. I mean, he could be walking down the street. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know a thing. Sorry to this man. You know, he's completely unrecognizable. You just not you because they, they missed their shot. You know what I'm saying? Now yeah, you, yeah. You, you know, you're moving on. Run, run me that check. That's all I need. No, real talk, though. Um, yeah. So, so, you, you know, your book has gotten a lot of attention and it's resonated with a ton of black women specifically, despite these publishers and a, a bunch of folks doubting um, the relevance it would have in the market. Um, what was the journey? What did it look like for you to actually get the book published, considering that you didn't have, um, you know, the the support that maybe a lot of people presume that you did? Yeah, it's been interesting because I really am. And if you followed me uh, over the last few years on Twitter, it's really you could see all of this happening in real time. You know, I as I said, I didn't have any celebrities that endorsed the book. I did not have a large following. It really was just, you know, if you build it, hopefully that they will come. And I've been doing this quote unquote work since 2015, just talking about the advancement of women of color and black women in the workplace. And so uh, just building up that uh, momentum and having those conversations. And then when I had the opportunity to write the book, uh, I met an agent and she's one of few black literary agents out in the field. And so she understood why a book like this was important. And we both knew that this was history in the making because even in 2019, there hadn't been a book about the experiences of women of color in the workplace by a major publisher. And so because there wasn't anything to point to, they didn't think that there was an audience for it. And we did end up getting a publisher uh, who said, wow, well, I guess there is a gap, right, for Hmm. women of color. And so they took a chance, right? I don't even know if they, they thought that it would do as well as it, it did. But uh, all you need is one, right? All you need is one champion. And as one person told another person, told another person, uh, and it's just became this, you know, shared experience. And my story became their story. And it's been a really beautiful thing to remind us, as Audre Lorde said, that beware of feeling you're not good enough to deserve it because sometimes our situations will tell us no, or it will look like no, but we deserve it just like everybody else. Man, that's just, it's, it's beautiful. And you're absolutely right. Right. Like you have so many folks who will tell you no, but you don't really need a bunch of yeses. You just need one. Right. 
And the fact is that you, you continued and you persevered on, and I do follow you, of course, on like social media and stuff. So I saw, you know, there were times where you shared, like, look, you almost gave up a few different times of like pursuing, getting this book finished and supported and published. Um, and you continued forward. Um, can we actually do a little bit for those who are maybe been living under like a few rocks? Can we talk about like the memo again and like what the memo is about and why you believe, you know, so many people have taken to it? Yeah, um, I'm glad you asked that question. So basically it was 2015. I was on a train ride from D.C. to New York City and in my earbuds came this Drake song called Trophies. And it said, did your boys not get the memo? And it hit me in my seat, in my coach seat, <laughs> that I hmm. that the boys had not gotten the memo. Like, uh, <laughs> America hadn't got the memo that women that look like me or underserved communities, under-resourced, um, deserve that seat at the table. We've been working really hard. We have the credentials, and we're not being seen. And so that was really the impetus for starting my company, The Memo, which then turned into a podcast, Secure the Seat, and then eventually this opportunity to write the memo. And I wanted to write a love letter to women of color in the workplace and tell them that they've worked too hard to lean out now and that I didn't want them to defer their dreams of the C-suite because certain companies can't get it right. You know, maybe you do have to create your own table or maybe the one that you're at is just, that's not the one for you, but Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to go and find that um, table that's right for you. And so so many of us are leaving corporate America because we don't feel seen and we aren't getting those opportunities. And I just wanted to write a book that talked to us about those experiences to let um, each of us know that you're not alone and that, you know, we're here supporting each other and that we're, we're coming for these seats. And it's not just having a seat at the table, but it's a sense of ownership. Um, once you sit down, what are you going to do with that seat? And we have to hold companies accountable. And so I wrote a very authentic book where I use rap lyrics. I use, I really brought my authentic self to this book because I wanted it to be for us by us. And, yeah. and I hope our counterparts would read the book too, to understand what it's like as Solange says to be us. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so um, that was really the important piece of writing a book like this. Well, I mean, it just is incredible. Like, you know, you, you talked a little bit about, again, this, this book tour that you're going on and off Mike, we talked about, you know, at the time of us recording this, you're in the middle of about to hit the road again. Um, so what have been some of your biggest lessons as you go to these different organizations, corporations, institutions? What have been some of your biggest lessons learned in sharing and talking about the book and leading panels and, and different QAs and things of that nature? Yeah, I really do see it as um, an opportunity. Like I really have a privilege to be able to go inside of these companies, uh, some of the top companies and brands to talk about what it's like to be a black woman in the workplace. And I get to say the things that most women can't say, right? And knowing that I have that responsibility to say what it's like to be microaggressed on a daily basis, to to deal with the promotion that you should have had, but somebody else got it, and to tell you next time. You know, being able to talk about those tragedies and those triumphs in a way that centers us in the career narrative. And it's very powerful to be able to go in and do that, but scary at the same time, right? (laughs) To be able to go and kind of talk about this because I know that a few years ago, I probably wouldn't have been invited to talk about race at work, but we're in a a unique climate where there's no way to get around it. 
And so um, the way that I see, even the way that black women and women of color leave the room after we've had a session or had a conversation or a Q&A or a keynote, they just move differently, right? You know, knowing that the conversation was centered around you and your colleagues are listening to what it's like to be you and just the way that their heads like are held up even higher when they walk out of the room and knowing that somebody's rooting for them, right? Because oftentimes we're in these situations alone, uh, suffering in silence. And so what does it look like to finally be seen for the first time? It's a beautiful thing. No, well, it is. It is. And it's, you know, I, as, so I'm not a black woman, but I am a black man. Right. So um, so while I benefit from certain aspects of patriarchy, I still am often one of the onlys in any space. Um, and I can say as someone who in my past has felt just heavy with the things that I want to say, but, you know, don't want to get in trouble for saying or don't want to be seen looked at differently or punished for saying um, it is a blessing when someone can come in and really speak truth to power, especially when, you know, I'm just now a manager in my organization. I'm just now really at that point in my career where I'm like form, I have a formal title of a leader. But um, for those who are like, you know, not in that position, because there's very few of us in positions of leadership in these organizations. And so especially when you have folks who don't even have like the hierarchical authority, and again, I'm just like a mid-level manager. I'm not like no senior leader or executive or anything like that. So um, especially when there are people who are already at the like the bottom rung of the ladder, when there's someone who can come in and speak truth to power um, in, in that way, I think it's really powerful, especially someone that looks like them. You walk away feeling a little bit lighter. Um, let me ask you this. Like when you have these conversations and like these exchanges with the white folks that bring you in, because I'm pres- you tell me you correct me if I'm wrong, I'm presuming. There is you come in like the people who are in charge are white. So they're coming in and they're they're bringing you in to have these discussions. Do you ever feel as if you give them like more truth than they expected? That's a great question. Uh, well, it happens in two in two ways. Uh, so maybe there is a, a woman of color, a black woman who's read the memo and then she goes to whoever her direct reports are or HR or the employee resource group and says, hey, we got to bring Minda in. And then from there. Uh, an executive sponsor has to sign off on it and all these different things. And so it's interesting because some places are like, we want to bring you in, but what are you going to say? You know, are you going to burn the place down? Are you going to lead a revolt or is this going to be productive? And I often say, listen, I am an expert in my field, right? I would never do that, but I am going to talk about the things that are in the book. Um, And so, but I would like to do that in, in a learning way. It's not, I'm not here to shame anybody, but I'm here to, talk about a different narrative. What would it look like if everyone had equity and that should not scare anybody off. Right. And so I think for people who aren't used to these kind of critical conversations, it may be like, uh, what's, what's going to happen. But then the end result is everybody's like happy and like, wow, I'm so glad I didn't know these things. And, and so for me, again, it creates more of a conversation that hopefully people go back to their managers or talk about what does equity look like at the very top and and why aren't there any people that look like us when we constantly say diversity and inclusion is a priority here. And so I think um, I look forward to seeing the impact years from now, right? Even Mm -hmm. a year from now, people giving themselves permission to have agency, to be able to speak on some of these things and advocate for themselves. And so, um, just centering themselves. So I'm excited to see what the future of work looks like for us. 
And so, you know, when you say like what you're excited about the future, I'm curious when people kind of come to you and they talk to you after your talks, because you you've shared on Twitter sometimes like some of the small exchanges you'll have with individuals after your whatever your presentation is for that particular event is done. Can we talk about exchanges that have really resonated with you for, you know, good or positive or negative? Or, you know, is there is there anything that really sticks with you about maybe even a pattern that you've seen? from folks that look like us as well as maybe some things that you've seen from folks that don't look like us? Yeah, you know, every time I go into a space, I'm really humbled and surprised because the main thing that I hear time and time again is just thank you. Like Mm -hmm. women that look like us and even men that look like us will just say thank you. You don't know how hard it is to come into this environment every single day and be one of the only ones and to finally feel like I don't have to have that armor on for this moment. Um, and so it's really, and then I met with hugs and I met with thank yous, you know, just thank you for, for being the one to go out here and and speak the truth to power because we need it. You know, we're, we're barely surviving inside of the workplace. And, um, so that's a, a reoccurring theme, uh, each and every time. But then the other thing I would say is, um, I'm really, so even though I talk about these tools in our toolkit that even as women of color, we need to hone in on, but then I also talk about this whole like managerial training experience because 70% of women of color feel as though their managers are not invested in their success. So I really talk about what tools companies need to be equipping their managers with to <laughs> manage diverse talent because that number is way too high and it's a direct correlation in my opinion to 4% of us being in the C-suite. And so um, if you're not invested, then that's where the critical work is on those managers, those, you know, frontline managers, middle managers. And so there needs to be some, some accountability there. And so I think once they hear these statistics, so now it's not just our feelings, right? I feel a certain way, but here are the facts. And so once I drop those facts on them, uh, then it, it changes the dynamics of the conversation too, right? Like this is real. No, it absolutely is. And it's just it's curious to me because I think that like when you talk about um, the reality of lived experience and the impacts that it has like on our health, like both physical and mental, um, it does impact the bottom line. Um, and I don't know if organizations. I'm So I'm happy and I'm glad that you're on tour. What I'm really curious about when you talk about like the future and you talk about this toolkit and like you're giving these tools to the people who are being oppressed in some way, shape or form. What I'm really curious about is how much those the leaders, the, the executive decision makers, how much they're keying in on these discussions and how much of that are they are they starting to translate into behaviors and policies and procedures that they, they need to shape and change. So that people's um, respite won't come just from some external speaker that's coming in for a day. Like when I think about like systemic change, like I'm really curious, you know, what do you think organizations need to be focused on to create more inclusivity and equitable treatment for black and brown people across the board? But but of course, specifically for black and brown women at work. Yeah, it's interesting because you're right. I'm in and I'm out. Right. (laughs) So I really try to impart that it's going to require everybody in this room. And it's not just the chief diversity officer who solves this problem, but it's every single person in the building. And so that will require dismantling certain processes and procedures that 
are currently in place? You know, are we willing to do that there? And then the flip side is that we, Black women, Black men, whomever's underrepresented in the organization or company, we have to hold people accountable, right? Because if we all leave feeling like on 10 after we've had this conversation and everybody's feeling seen and all the things, but what happens on Monday morning, right? When, or Tuesday, when two Tuesdays have passed, right? And then we see some of those inequalities. As I tell different Black women when I see them, it can't be just me with the bullhorn, right? Like now you all have to, when your manager says, have I ever done this to you? You don't say no, even though you know they have, right? You got to say like, yes, this has happened to me. And the more that we talk about how these things are going on, then it's not just, oh, this girl that wrote this book, she's talking about this stuff, right? But making it real on your team. And I think that's where the work is, even though we have craziness happening in our country right now, but What's going to happen in your department? What's going to happen? What function do we hold HR accountable, right? For it's, some of these no, <laughs> You're right. Well, you know, you're right. It is, well, here's the thing about, so like, I, I want to like the, respond to the first thing first is like, I think I agree with you. And like, I can speak one day, I'm going to get on this podcast and I'm going to talk about the very real consequences that I faced for speaking the truth about my own lived experiences and, and and like, and just kind of like what that looks like. I think that I have no issue doing that because I, it's the right thing to do. Right. But when I think about the fact that like I have a daughter and I have a wife and I think about like, what does it look like to, I have to like, these are things I have to weigh is, am I going to give this feedback to my boss who is tone deaf and elitist and ignorant and like all of this, am I going to do that at risk of me potentially like, getting passed over for a promotion or getting fired or relationships icing over, which then impacts my employability. Like, like those are decisions I think that marginalized people have to make. And I'm not saying that it's, yeah, I'm not saying that they shouldn't speak up and they shouldn't hold their bosses accountable, but like until we really have an honest conversation about the lack of power that individual folks have in like both like formally and informally by nature of, whiteness i think like it's tough right like it's tough to like expect people to to be brave like because you're being not like you're being brave like on principle like you're being brave on like your career you know what i mean yeah you know and i want to say that it is a, a brave thing and, and one of the things that we also have to take into account is you know in my book it's called securing your seat at the table so obviously you may not be able to be like Asada Shakur running through your um, <laughs> organization, right? Yeah, be like- <laughs> but, but those small acts of courage hmm. and making sure that you're building the right alliances so that you're not the only one having these conversations, right? So being strategic about who can speak on your behalf on this or who can put you forward on this, right? So us just sitting, not to say that we are, but we can't, just sit and hope that meritocracy plays its That's way for <laughs> We have to be doing something else. And so if, if we want a difference, right, or if our manager does bring this to our attention, like, is this going on? Then maybe you can say, yeah, I have experienced these things here right. and I really like working here, right? We all have to, but we can't, what does James Baldwin say? We can't, I, I'm paraphrasing, but we can't solve anything unless we call it what it is, right? Mm-hmm. You know, unless it's based. And I think that, Part of that is for so long, we've silenced ourselves because of fear, right? And because of maybe losing our jobs. Um, 
But hopefully, if the environment claims and wants to promote equality and equity, it will require us to at least be able to say, here's what I think could be better. Right. And I think it's all about not what you said, but how you say it. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think the other piece you talk about HR. So like one of these days, we also going to have to have like somebody from Sherm on the podcast, Minda. HR looking like they just seem like more and more like they're like almost just like the almost like the police of the organization, right? Like they just kind of mobilize to act in whatever the primary interest of the business is. Now, folks have been saying that like HR is not your friend. So like we know all of that stuff like that's true, but it just seems like more and more HR as an industry doesn't really seem to be focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, or even like talent strategy as much as they're just focused on like lawsuit mitigation or whatever, whatever, like just kind of executing against whatever, like the most senior executives want them to do. And like, I'm curious, like I'm really curious about HR's function in this workforce of the future, because I don't think that human resources is going to absorb diversity, equity, inclusion work. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really know where they fit in all of this. Yeah, I think that's a a good question. I I don't know the answer, but last week I was um, speaking at this one company and the CEO happened to be there for this talk. And he asked the question, he said, so when I'm thinking about what you're talking about is that HR, the system is broken. And he's Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. clearly something that where if you feel a certain way as a black woman in an organization, something's going on, you don't have anyone you can tell about this. There should be somebody that represents your needs within the organization. And he said, so maybe the function of HR needs to be redefined. And I said, yeah, I said, I do believe that's true. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, everybody loves to hate HR until they give you the job or because, you know, or whatever have you. But I do think that HR has too many functions. So what would it look like? Um, to actually have somebody who is maybe a, a justice advocate or, or something, right? Yeah, you know, see, that and goes. And that's, a, I, see, in my mind, that's what I feel. I feel that's that's what I would think HR would be, at least, or at least some type of objective party, right? But like so often, they're just, they're really there for it to mitigate and protect shareholder interests. Like, um, and it's like, I don't think that a justice advocate. Or essentially, it's like what, like like an internal advocate. I don't think that that exists in the workplace today. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think so because it is like restorative justice, right? Oh my because gosh, they don't want something- that. <laughs> <laughs> restorative justice in the HR function, man. I mean, that's disruptive, right? I mean, but that's what it's going to take. Otherwise, it's take that. real talk. People be up and man, listen, because. Y'all need to do some restorative justice because, look, it's better to have some type of internal restorative justice than have external restorative justice. Because external restorative justice sound like, you know, it's like it's not, you know, it's not going to be cute. So I just think it ain't, it ain't going to be lawyers and you don't you, you just don't want you don't, it. You don't want you don't want all that smoke, you know, and then, you know, you're going to have again, if you're not going to be willing to face the challenges you have internally by swallowing your medicine internally, then, you know, you're going to be up on that headline just like. A couple of these companies have been and, uh, you know, that news reporter going to be looking at you and you're going to be looking at them like, look at us. Hey, look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. Yeah, but but I did. We did know. We did think. You know what I'm saying? You got to be <laughs> pay attention. Um, OK, OK. So so let's talk about this. Like as we wrap up, um, where can people 
check out the memo? Where can they learn more about you? All of that. Yes, uh, and continue the conversation with us, but uh, MindaHarts.com, M-I-N-D-A-H-A-R-T-S, and you can buy it wherever you like to buy your books, Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, um, all the places. Okay, y'all heard that now, all the places, okay? It's out there, so don't don't try to be cute, you know? Y'all listen to the, y'all probably, maybe you're driving or you're working out, stop what you're doing, look in the show notes, the link's right there, make sure you get a copy of the memo and listen, white organizations, you out there Becky, Karen, uh, Sheila um, all y'all, you know you probably like the leader of your little diversity inclusion group book Minda and get her out there, in fact go ahead and click the link, check out the link, okay go ahead and buy like two or three hundred copies okay, give them to all your people on the team, maybe get them and then you can give them as part of an onboarding gift for your employees, see what I'm saying, see just like, I'm, I'm helping y'all, I'm, I'm giving y'all free consulting on my own podcast for somebody else's company Okay, so you're welcome. All right. Make sure, you know, get get it for, get, you know, you can get it as a gift, as a huge gift for the next leadership class that you come and you promote in. Because if you're a leader, you should understand how to be an effective ally and partner. This is going to be an effective book for you. It's a great tool, y'all. And it's a great read. Okay. So anyway, y'all heard it right here. Minda, before we let you go, any shout outs? Uh, everybody. I'm rooting for everybody black. Hey. <laughs> Straight up. Yes. Room for everybody yeah. black. Okay, okay. All right, y'all. Well, look, you know what it's been? It's been Living Corporate. You've been listening to Menda Hartz, CEO, founder of uh, The Memo LLC, and of course, The Memo, the book. Uh, make sure you check her out. Make sure you check us out. Uh, Living Corporate is everywhere. You just Google us. We are, we are all the little DSPs, okay? You Google us and you're going to have our website. But if you want to type in the website because you're old school, you want to go into the browser, you want to make sure you go to the exact domain you're looking for, it's www.living-corporate. Please say the dash.com, okay? Or livingcorporate.co, livingcorporate.us, livingcorporate.net, livingcorporate.org. Shoot, all the living corporates, really, except for livingcorporate.com. So look, don't come at me telling me you went to livingcorporate.com and it didn't work. Livingcorporate.com is not owned by us. It's owned by some Australians. But every other domain, livingcorporate.da-da-da, that's us. But of course, you could always just do living-corporate.com. Make sure you DM us, okay? Livingcorporatepodcast.gmail.com, where you hit up, hit us up on social media, livingcorp underscore pod. Livingcorporate on Instagram, okay? Catch y'all next time. Until next time, you've again been listening to Minda Hart's speaker, edge snatcher, author, writer, educator, okay? Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.